Hey guys, this is your host, Ryan Sebastian. I want to thank you for making this podcast a part of your day today. Um, If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you've been listening for a while um, and you have not subscribed, uh, I would encourage you to do that. That would help you to stay up to date on what is going on on the podcast. I am Again, I'm, every week I am excited about all the interviews and the people that we get to talk to. But I'm, again, I'm really excited and really pumped for this week's interview because what we're going to be talking about is a very important topic that I think a lot of times is overlooked or not discussed enough within the church as a whole, and especially. Uh, youth ministry, and that is this idea and this concept of cultural Christianity. But before we dive into that a little more, I want to take a pause and listen to our sponsors. Youth and Culture is brought to you by Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is an online accountability and content blocking software for your mobile device or your computer designed to protect the entire family. Today, with 90% of boys and 70% of girls being exposed to pornography online and 56% of divorce cases listing porn use as a factor, it's more important than ever to protect your home. Click the link at the bottom of the show notes, sign up for Covenant Eyes, and start protecting your home today. What is cultural Christianity? Um, this is a question I've had in the past because I've always kind of heard this, this phrase, uh, cultural Christianity or the cultural Christian, but never quite understood uh, what that meant. And until a few years ago, and did, was reading, research, and all that, and, and kind of understood that phrase and that coin. Uh, a phrase even more and what it meant. And I was, I'm really glad that I got to talk to Dean and Sarah about his book, new book that was re- released, um, The Unsaved Christian, and what it means for us as youth leaders and youth workers uh, to reach cultural Christians within our ministries and how, the, how does it apply and how does that work when it comes to teenagers, uh, when it comes to students, and how do we reach students who have grown up in church, who think, think they're believers, think they're Christians, but in reality, they're lost. How do we reach those kids? So I was very excited to get talked to Dean and dive into this topic a little more. So you definitely want to stay tuned and listen as we talk to Dean and Sarah.
Well, guys, I am super excited about today's interview. Uh, we're going to be talking to Dean and Sarah, and we're going to be talking about a topic that it really translates into every aspect of ministry, uh, but it also is affects us as youth leaders in our ministries as, as well. And that's this realm and this concept of cultural Christianity. But before we get into that, Dean, how about you kind of introduce yourself, your uh, journey in ministry and where you are today? Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm a pastor in my hometown uh, where I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida of City Church, uh, which we planted with some friends, about 20 of us in my parents' living room over 12 years ago. Um, I've been married for 15 years and I have three kids, but it's really great getting a chance to pastor in my hometown, trying to reach my friends for Christ and uh, really a area saturated with what we would call cultural Christianity. Now, I know a lot of us probably listening probably have heard that term before, um, culture, cultural Christianity, but for maybe those who haven't really heard this term or this phrase, what exactly is uh, cultural Christianity? Well, there's not one kind of cultural Christian. We'll get into that some. It's, it's, there's different kind of aspects of it. But the big picture idea is someone who would claim to be a Christian if asked, but their reason for believing themselves to be or claiming to be really has nothing to do with Jesus or the gospel. It's more because they aren't Jewish or Muslim and they aren't atheists. So therefore they think they're Christians. And it's really hard uh, to define it only because there's not really a category that exists for it. A lot of people think cultural Christianity is more of a discipleship issue. Uh, where we need to get people more excited about following Christ, more serious about the church and about their faith, uh, where maybe we see it as someone who's an immature Christian. Uh, but I say that's actually the wrong way to think about it. Cultural Christianity is not a discipleship issue. It's actually an evangelism issue. And it's a different religion altogether. And why it's hard to detect is there isn't an actual box to check when it comes to cultural Christianity. And what I mean by that is, let's say that uh, there was a survey or a form that we needed to fill out and it might ask somebody, you know, give me your age, gender, race, you know, your height, something like that. And then it comes to your religion and it'll say something like no religion. You're going to say, well, I'm not that. So then you move on to the next box and it says Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu. And you're not like, well, I'm not none of those things. And then there's not a box that says thinks you're a Christian, but you're actually not. <laughs> so the next box says Christian. So people check Christian. And by that, they simply mean they're not atheists and they're not Jewish. Uh, so cultural Christians are people who would claim to be Christians or think themselves to be Christians, but they actually do not possess a saving faith because it has nothing to do with Jesus. Yeah, that's that's it's great. It's funny you say that, but when I what I actually do with uh, I've been training my students is to uh, when someone asks them the question, "Are you a, are you a Christian?" Um, I have, have kind of been training them to to say, "Well, no." I'm a Christ follower. Um, and the reason why I've, I've gotten my teens to kind of uh, to work in, to buy into that is for the same reasons that you just gave, um, is that the, the term Christian is not like it was 60, 70 years ago. Um, it means something totally different now than it did back then. Uh, and, it's a, it's, and especially if we're in the South, you're located in the South, I'm located in the South. Uh, you walk around uh, in your town, and an average person, you ask if you're a Christian, a lot of nine out of 10 times they're going to say yes. Um, and that's just the culture that I'm in. 
Um, so we have to define what that's the reason why I get my students to gauge and in, into that a little bit more and not don't just answer yes, but go a step further and call themselves a Christ follower. And nine out of 10 times, that actually gives an opportunity. That person asks, what is that? Now, have you experienced, have you experienced anything similar to that um, in your ministry? Yeah, I, you know, I, I like that. I, I'm not sure if it's changed that much, in my opinion. Uh, I, I just think that cultural Christianity in the past, it just went to church more often. Yeah, that, that might have been the main difference. I don't know if it was actually a saving faith. Uh, but somehow over time, Christianity became more of an identification that's more similar to like an ethnicity or a nationality than it had anything to actually do about faith. It's just kind of like another badge or another patch on the jersey of kind of your makeup as a person, rather than actually having true convictions about who Jesus is and what he's done. Uh, so I think it is helpful to actually point people in conversations to, this is about Christ. It doesn't mean this, that I'm a generic theist, you know, that I just like believe in God. You know, James in James 2.19 said, you believe that God is one, okay, great, so does the, so does the devil, right? Uh, so uh, we're not talking about just basic belief, uh, and it's really difficult to reach these people uh, because they're not atheists. So they're like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm a Christian. But again, by that, they really don't have anything to say about convictions about who Jesus is and what he's done. I'm not asking people to be theologians. That's, that's not the request. It's more what actually is the basis of your Christianity you claim and your faith. Is it the person of Jesus or is it just the fact that you're uh, from a you know Bible Belt kind of theistic sort of culture? We're saturated with it down here in the South. No, I, no, I absolutely agree. Um, what, when, I know you're uh, in the course of, I've read your book. You had released a book and I believe it released uh, in May. Uh, the specimen, if I'm correct, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, called the unsaved Christian that kind of dives into this topic um, even more, even more so. And in in, this, in your book, you kind of gave your story and how your story impacted um, how you pastor and towards this whole entire idea and concept that we're talking about when it comes to cultural Christianity. Uh, so, so can you kind of give a, your background of what was your own experience like having growing up uh, as a cultural Christian and how did Christ seek and find you there? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that because the reason why I'm so passionate about this topic is really two reasons. One, I was saved out of cultural Christianity. And second, that's my friends that I grew up with. Like that's a lot of their world still to this day. They're in that religion that is cultural Christianity. I was raised mainline Protestant. Uh, that's not to say there aren't uh, some remnant healthy mainline churches. Of course there are, but they're not very many, sadly. And I think we need to be honest about that. Uh, I went to church every Sunday unless I was sick or we were out of town. Um, I didn't dislike it or anything like that. If, I, if you'd asked me if I was a Christian when I was a kid, I would have told you yes. And again, my reasons basically would have been that we, I believed in God and I was a good person. And we went to church and said a prayer before dinner. That kind of been my reasons for I'm a Christian. I, I never actually had someone tell me the gospel. I never had anyone tell me I needed to repent of my sins and trust in Christ. I was told to be a good person, to love others. I knew some Bible stories like David and Goliath and Noah's Ark and things like that. They had no real meaning to it besides kind of a neat story about the Bible or something like that is how I would have viewed it when I was a kid. I got invited to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA, a retreat when I was 13 years old. And that sounded great to me because it said Christian and athlete. I, athletes, I love sports. And I was a Christian because I'm not Jewish, not Muslim, not an atheist, and we're good people and we break uh, before dinner, so we're Christians. And uh, that day, uh, we had sports and we had assemblies and the, the evening assembly. 
It was just a one-day, all-day camp, a retreat. Uh, the pastor uh, preached what I know now was a gospel message. I had no category for that then. And he gave an invitation. I didn't know what that was. And during the invitation, he called for people to come forward and give their lives to Christ to, to, to become followers of Jesus. Well, a bunch of kids went forward. I did not. Why? Because I'm a Christian, right? Because we're good people and we pray before dinner. And he gave a, after that, he gave a second invitation. And he talked about people who think they're Christians, but actually might not be because their reason for their Christianity is all about culture and not about Christ. And he explained what he meant by that. He read from Matthew 7, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, where Jesus said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name? And Jesus said, he will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you workers of lawlessness. And what's happening there is these people are appealing to other things for their justification before God. They're appealing to their works, to their goodness, to their religious accomplishments, rather than actually appealing to Jesus. Jesus says, I have none of that away from me. Uh, so he gave a second invitation for those who are in that category, kind of a modern day example of Matthew 7. And I was the only one who went forward. And I had really no full idea what I was doing. I just knew what he was saying was about me. And one of the coaches is in the front waiting for kids to come down. And he, you know, came up to me and said, hey, buddy, what's up? And I said, you know, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but what he said is what I know that I am, that whole Matthew 7 thing. So he went and sat down with me just on the side of the gym and just walked me through what it meant to actually believe in Christ, what it meant to actually be saved, why I needed to be, what sin was. It was just walked me through it all. And I made a decision that day to follow Jesus. And, and I joke I'm the only person to ever actually come to faith in Christ to be mad about it, <laughs> even though I did have joy, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I'm seriously sitting there as a 13-year-old and I'm going, how have I been in church my entire life and no one has ever told me this before? And people listening to this have to realize that that is a massive mission field in America are people who have who say prayers before dinner, who have been to church many, many Sundays, but actually don't know the gospel. They've never heard it before. Maybe they're just completely ignorant to it. That's one of the biggest barriers to reaching cultural Christians, just complete ignorance about the gospel. But when you hear it, it's 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 like, what? <laughs> this is what it is. And then that was what I experienced that day. Yeah, and I, I would say that it's it's a it's a it's a issue worldwide, and of course is an issue across our country, but um having been up north and have friends that are up north out way out west, um, I would have to say, at least in my in my opinion, is I see more of this issue uh in the south. Uh, than I do in other parts of the country. Um, and you you actually say, you actually tell a story in your book about a, a seminary friend um, in your book and, and who was basically, if I remember correctly, and you can quote, you can stop me if I misinterpret this, but you're, you had a, your friend who was basically saying uh, you were kind of envious of your friend going off to, I think it was California and um, envious of that. And then, uh, thinking that he's going out to a big, huge mission field. And then he turns around, and looks at you, said, your mission field is harder. <laughs> and that's a kind of the same, a similar experience I actually had also when I was in, uh, actually in my undergrad working in youth ministry, had the same kind of feelings as some of these guys and some of where they're going out in California, up north and in New York and Maine and places are, that we would, con a lot of people consider hard to do ministry. Um, and I would have to, looking back at that, I would have to say it's almost harder to do a ministry in the South because cultural Christianity is, is 
so prevalent here, more prevalent here than, and then I would say maybe out west or up north because the average person you meet, you're either Christian or not. Um, in Calif- places like California uh, and New York, here you talk to somebody, it's like a, it's like an in between the cult being a culture Christian, thinking they're a believer, but in reality they have no no grasp of what the gospel is. Um, do you do, have you noticed or experienced uh, that uh, anything to that nature as well? Oh, sure. It just looks totally different than, than it would in other parts of the country. Uh, my seminary friend that day, I, I experienced what I called a kind of a missional insecurity. Like I felt like he was the one that was really going and selling out for the gospel. And I was taking the easy way by going back south to my hometown. And he encouraged me by, by reminding me that what he believed where I was going was more difficult. And I think everywhere is hard because the enemy's everywhere. It just looks different. Uh, but what he meant by that, he told me, he said, where, where I'm going in California, for the most part, there's a clear starting point. There's no confusion over who's a Christian and who's not. Uh, so the clear starting point for a conversation can just be unbelief. Uh, where you're going, there's no clear starting point. Everybody thinks they're a Christian. It's almost like you have to get somebody lost in order to get them saved. And that gave me a lot of encouragement that day because I realized that I wasn't selling out or taking some easy road by going to the South. There was a great need down here. Uh, that need just wasn't hostile to Christianity. That didn't actually mean it was Christian. Yeah, that kind of leads into uh, the next thing I, w- I would like us to kind of dive into is um, is how how do you spot the difference between a Jesus admirer and a Jesus follower? Well, I think one of the interesting things about cultural Christianity is that cultural Christians think the only difference between themselves and actual Christians is just that those people are, are into it a little bit more. Like those people who get asked to pray at Thanksgiving or at a family meal. It's, it's that type of thing. Uh, they might just say, you know, Ryan, he's just really into his religion. I mean, we're Christians too. He's just really religious. That's, that's I think, really the only difference is they just think you're a little more extreme, I guess we could say. Uh, so that just makes it kind of interesting is there's no self-awareness whatsoever. They just think that they're just not as, maybe they just don't go to church as much as you do. Like, I'm spiritual too, uh, but but maybe I just don't go to church as much. That's really the only, only disconnect that they see. And what you'll see is that the difference is that when it comes to any conversations about faith, usually they're not having them unless something really bad happens. They might write like thoughts and prayers on a Facebook wall or or something along those lines. Uh, but in, in any kind of ca- conversation about faith whatsoever, there's just really actually no mention of the gospel and of Jesus. There's no testimony. Uh, there, there's no understanding of, of being saved or coming to faith in Christ or repentance of sin. Uh, they don't really think they sin. They just think they make mistakes sometimes. And it all goes back to the fact they have a very generic view of God. It's not the God of the Bible. It's kind of a big guy upstairs, uh, maybe a moral compass, uh, kind of the equivalent to uh, the force in Star Wars, maybe, or a glorified divine Santa. Uh, so when your view of God is very generic, then when you sin, it's not going to seem like a very big deal. But when you actually believe in the God of the Bible, who actually is not generic, is not vague, has has actually made himself known and revealed himself to us through the scriptures and ultimately in Christ, uh, then you understand that since he has spoken, has made himself known to us, that we are accountable to him and that we have sinned against him and that we're desperate for Jesus to be uh, the one who became sin for us and him would become the righteousness of God. Uh, so I think with cultural Christian conversations between that and actual followers of Jesus, actual biblical Christianity, uh, the biggest difference is there's really no need or any mention of actual the gospel 
and one's need for it in their life. And it'll be very prevalent. It's very generic language you'll hear. You'll hear about faith and spirituality and just kind of lowercase g, God, and, and really no concept or a conversation about Jesus. No, no, I absolutely agree. And, and I think this is, um, and I'm just thinking about it in my own context and what I'm dealing with. I see this, I see this in, in students, um, some students, but I see this as more of a problem in my ministry uh, when it comes specifically with, with parents. Um, I have I have parents who believe that they're they're, they're culture Christians uh, believe that they're uh, that they're uh, they're basically they're saved and in reality there's no fruit in their life there's no uh, there's no growth there's no there's just nothing there and it's so hard to minister to students and those though their kids and when. Uh, then when the their parents are in this realm of cultural Christianity. Um, so I, I totally agree with that and try, trying to get, and that kind of goes into the next thing I want to ask you is what are some strategies and steps to help a person who thinks they are a Christian to see that they are not? Well, what we've got to get them in gospel preaching churches. We've got to figure out how to do that. Extend invitations, you know, go out of our way to get people there with us. Because one thing that happens when cultural Christians actually get around the true preaching of the gospel, I just don't mean gospel believing people that would like align with us on essential issues. I mean, to actually really truly do preach faith and repentance and faith in Christ and what that actually looks like and justification by faith and, and all those important things. And that, that sounds like I'm oversimplifying it, but that's a big step because you can see cultural Christians almost like the light goes off in their head about how different this is. That's what happened to me. Like I actually heard real preaching and went, whoa, this is different than what I've been taught or I've been hearing my entire life. And after that, let's have real conversations because, again, these people are not hostile. There's more indifference. But they've put thoughts and prayers or God bless America, you know, on their Facebook walls before. And they, you know, go shopping for a new outfit for Easter. And they, you know, on Christmas Eve, they go to their parents' house and they might even have a nativity scene and a manger on their mantle in their living room at Christmas time. Uh, so because they already claim to have faith, let's talk to them about it. And so I think something as simple as just asking some basic questions can open up a huge door for conversation. And the questions go like this. I mean, so I, I'm, I'm, it sounds like we're simplifying it, but it really, again, we're not talking about skeptics here. We're not talking about having to give a hope for the faith that you have, and these deep answers. We're talking about challenging people that their faith might not be saving faith. And again, that's offensive. When you suggest to somebody who's thought themselves to be a Christian their whole life, they might not be. Good luck with that. Uh, but uh, what I like to do is I like to say, hey, you know, um, we talk about everything else. We talk about sports and the kids. And we talk about um, politics and work or school or whatever it might be. Uh, I've noticed we never actually had a conversation before about our faith. Like, I, I mean, I, I know that you, you know, sometimes post about your faith and, and those type of things. Um, but we never really talk. I, I know you go to FCA sometimes or go to Young Life or church or whatever it might be. Uh, but I'm just curious, like, tell me about your faith. Are, are, are you a Christian? Um, I don't mean that in a weird way. I, I just never asked you that before. And like, oh, yeah, of course I am. Of course I'm a Christian. OK, great. Me, too. I, I figured you were. But I, I, how did you how did you become a Christian? Like, when did that go? When did that kind of happen in your life? When did that realization take place? The answers you will get back will have nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with conversion. It'll all be cultural Christian answers about their family, being good people, a generic a generic belief in God. And that opens up this huge door for you to have a very you know, compassion-filled, 
just calm conversation about your story. And they'll see the difference that lines up. And then you have an opportunity to insert some just kind of challenges and pushes in there or begin a nice conversation where they see the differences. And we've got to help cultural Christians see the disconnect between their claiming to be a Christian and what actually is a Christian. And in doing so, we're not saying be more like us. You know, we're actually pointing them to the gospel. You know, we have to make sure that in their eyes, they're first going to see it oftentimes as you being kind of judgmental and saying, hey, you should be more like me. I'm a varsity level Christian. That's not what we're saying. We're saying this is what actual saving faith looks like in Jesus. It's important to distinguish between those two things. Again, I'm not asking for, you know, the old revivalistic things used to hear when we were kids of, you don't know the day and the hour and the moment you were saved. You might not be. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what actually makes somebody a Christian and it's faith in Christ, right? So a lot of cultural Christians have a belief in Jesus, but an actual saving faith in him. And through basic questions, it opens up for us this huge, massive window uh, just based on their answers they're going to give you, I guarantee you will be like softballs for you to have gospel conversations. No, I agree. Now, I think that, again, talking to a cultural Christian or any anybody who's not a believer, it's always, there's always a point of maybe some difficulty. But when you talk to a cultural Christian, you're you're exactly right in the sense that you just, you just ask them basic questions about a faith they, they claim to have. And that's an easy way, just an opportunity to just ba- do a basic a presentation of what the gospel actually is. And even in my in my own context, and um, I had, of course, this this is an issue across the board everywhere. But we have a lot of bad theology uh, in churches in my area. And I had a I had a student that was from one of the, one of those uh, churches and came in, and of course uh, uh, that. That morning, that Sunday morning, I'm giving a gospel presentation, and he he comes to me and he looks at me and he says, "Do you mean that my pastor doesn't save me?" And just a very warped view of what the gospel was, and so he gave me an opportunity to ask basic questions about a faith that he claimed to have, and it opened up doors to where uh, he, he didn't give he didn't make a decision then uh, to surrender life to Christ, but he he was clearly given the gospel at that point. Uh, so I, I totally agree. It's just asking basic questions, probing questions about a faith that they already claim to have. There it is. Just like that. The faith, they, that's a key point. The faith they already claim to have. Like keep driving that in your heads. This is not hostility. This is not skepticism, another religion in terms of that are known religions, like a world religion. Uh, these are people that think they're Christians that are not. And again, we don't think we're the judge of who's a Christian and who's not, nor do we want to be. But the scriptures are. And the scriptures make it clear to us there is a saving faith and a non-saving, more generic faith that Jesus says is not is not saving faith. And we have to make sure we're clear on that. Yeah. Wh- one other question. Of course, this is, this is a podcast reaching out for uh, youth leaders and, and youth ministries. So I, I, I want to ask you, what, what is uh, some advice that you would give youth leaders on how to reach uh, culture Christians in their context, maybe in their uh, youth ministries? Well, one, to be aware that your, your Wednesday night, Sunday night, whatever it might be, is always going to consist of cultural Christians. Um, and also you're going to have kids who maybe were baptized really early in life, like six years old, that never actually really got it. Now, some do, of course, but they really didn't get it. It was viewed more as a rite of passage. Uh, so don't take for granted just because their name's on the membership roll or they've had a baptism moment or they 
prayed a prayer at the pastor when they were in kindergarten that they're actually saved. They might have no concept whatsoever of the gospel. I know for some people that gives you the heebie-jeebies hearing me say that. Um, I'm a firm believer in eternal security and assurance of salvation. But let's make sure they actually have it. <laughs> that's part of what it means to be assured. Uh, so I think that's there. And then also utilize areas where cultural Christianity thrives. Uh, for example, high school sports and middle school sports. A lot of schools have chaplains. They have prayers. Uh, cultural Christianity, like the capital of it is high school football, right? Like every team in America claims faith, family, football. And they have a prayer before the game. And uh, we used to have a, a, a different senior lead the Lord's Prayer before every practice when I was in high school. A different person took turns doing it every week. And there were no Christians on my team <laughs> that one year and, and uh, that were, were in the senior class. They all prayed every week. And it's considered perfectly normal because faith is a component of high school football in the South, especially. Uh, so maybe find those channels, be a, be a chaplain somewhere, something along those lines. But uh, my biggest encouragement is when you craft your messages, your devotionals, your small group curriculum, whatever it might be, to have cultural Christian teenagers in mind regularly because they're going to be there a lot. Chances are their grandparents are really godly people uh, that maybe are, are pillars in the church or have been in the same church forever and really love the Lord, that their parents were raised in it, but became kind of indifferent and got more into going to the beach or going out of town every weekend or travel baseball, whatever it might be uh, for their children. They still claim to be Christians. They're just kind of, you know, it's not really that into it anymore. It's more assumed. And then the next generation, the kids now in your student ministry or youth ministry, they, they're clueless on it. So just keep in mind, you don't have to go looking for them. If you do want to go looking for them, go be involved in high school sports as a chaplain, something like that. But you don't have to go looking for them. I promise you they're right in front of you already. So speak to everyone in the room, the mature kid who's growing in Christ. But always keep in mind that there's cultural Christians in that and look for opportunities to challenge and push and help them see the difference and the disconnect. Yeah, I thought it was uh, interesting that you mentioned uh, football because even when I, growing up playing football, we, we every, and my, my God, my, my coach was he, he cussed like a sailor, um, and but every before every single football game, we all came together. Always said the Lord's prayer as a team. Always, yep. Uh, it, it was more like a more like a tradition, a rite of passage, or or it just felt like a just a one of these things that we always do. But you're exact exactly right. Even when it comes comes to even having a chaplain, uh, there's we had, we had a chaplain on our team that was not a believer. Uh, just the way he carried himself, he he was definitely not a believer, but he was the chaplain of the team. Oh yeah, uh, but not surprised. I'm not surprised at all by that. And it's and it's kind of also. I thought it was an interesting point you talked about uh, kids who who claim to come students who came to come uh, claim to come to Christ at an early age uh, who may have never really made a decision. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's also part of my story because um, I grew up. Uh, as a preacher's kid, uh, I'm, a, I'm a third generation pastor. My grandfather was a pastor of our church 40 plus years. Uh, my, my dad was, was a pastor there as well. Um, so grew up in church. It was an awesome church, gospel preaching church. Uh, but uh, of course, in children's ministry, uh, there was a gospel presentation. And I looked around, everybody was coming forward. So I said, okay, I'm going to go follow everybody else. And uh, went forward, uh, thought I gave my life to Christ, but never really understood what that meant until uh, when I was 13 years old, when really my life was falling apart around me at that age. Um, and, to, and that's when I really realized I never truly surrendered my life to Christ. Um, so yes, I'm really glad you, you mentioned that because that is a 
common theme that I see constantly within students uh, that say they've gave their life for Christ when they're early on, early age, uh, which is, again, like you said, that I truly believe in that. And I, I, pray, to, I pray to God every day that my kids, uh, as young as they are, make a life transformation decision to follow Christ. Um, Definitely, yeah. But uh, sometimes those decisions are not necessarily understood. Um, and so, and so I, I totally agree that even, just because a kid says they came to Christ when they're six years old, seven years old, does not mean that they're not a culture Christian. Oh, yeah. We have to make sure that we don't view salvation as a rite of passage, right? A, a lot of things we might give some of our Catholic friends a hard time about, we do ourselves. Uh, we just did a little bit later, you know, we just do it in the context of repeat this prayer after me. A lot of us have made, and especially, I, I'm, I'm Southern Baptist, so a lot of in, in my particular circles, I know we have listeners from different, different faith uh, kind of traditions of the Protestant family, but uh, a lot of times in my kind of faith tradition, one of the things that has happened is that we have made the gospel, who wants to go to heaven when you die? Which that's a benefit of the gospel. That's not the gospel. You know, who wants to go to heaven when you die? Well, I think everybody in the room just raised their hand, right? Then they go, okay, then repeat these words after me. And they make it some kind of hocus pocus uh, formula, you say, or some imaginary, or some, you know, magic words you say to get you to this place called heaven when you die. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, we need to make sure we're just clear that about who Jesus actually is, about our sin, about what we're asking him to do for us and be for us. Uh, Jesus said, let the little children come to me, right? Uh, well, let's make sure they're actually coming to him, like he said, and not to some custom or heritage or rite of passage, but actually to Christ. That's just what I want to make sure we're careful with. No, I, no, I agree. And um, it's very easy to fall in that trap. And you just said something uh, that, I know this is this is going a little bit of a rabbit trail, but uh, you mentioned something that is a pet peeve of mine when it comes to ministry is focusing because it, it gets because it's a problem here in the South. It's focusing on a prayer. That prayer, saying that prayer, is what uh, classifies you as being saved. Um, I think it's it's a it's a major problem that's been in, ingrained in the South. I think in some parts are getting out of it uh, slowly but surely. Uh, but even even my context, even at uh, we have some of that even in my church where I'm located at, we have some of that ingrained in some of the people uh, that you say a prayer, and this prayer is what uh, guarantees your salvation. When it's really a a decision, it's a faith. You're deciding. You're making a decision to follow Christ. Make decision to. Give your faith and your your life, everything to Christ. It's not has nothing to do with what you say. It has to do with your, your faith and having faith in Christ and surrendering to Him. Yeah, well, I think the sinner's prayer can be a very helpful tool. Uh, so let's just use it as that. It's not the basis of someone's assurance, and that's the problem. Is rather than the sinner's prayer being a very helpful tool and explaining the gospel, walking someone with what it means to trust in Christ, rather than being that. It's been declared like the basis for one being a believer because they prayed the prayer. Now, most people listening would go, oh, I don't think it's the basis, but functionally we act like it is because that's what people point to for their justification, you know, when they could be, you know, have nothing to do with Jesus for the rest of their lives, especially when they get a little bit older into, you know, middle school and high school years on into adult life. But their parents will point to the pray to prayer with Pastor, you know, Bob when they were six. Now, let's just be careful of that kind of stuff. So I don't want to be against the sinner's prayer. I'm for it as a tool, 
not as a basis for one's faith. No, I agree. Yeah, but again, that goes back to even my own story of thought for years, uh, thought I was a believer just because I went forward and said a prayer. And when in reality, there wasn't a life change. There you go. That's what it um, is. So I absolutely agree. Well, Dean, um, for if somebody wanted to get in con- connected with you, either to um, ask more questions about this topic of cross-cultural Christianity, uh, what is the best way to get in contact uh, with you? Yeah, you know, I love to. I love to connect with folks on Twitter or Instagram. It's just my name, just at Dean and Sarah, um, or City Church Tallahassee. Uh, dot com's our website. Uh, we got our sermons on there, uh, email on there. We'd love to, love to hear from folks. Uh, and just keep in mind, I care about this kind of stuff because I believe it's our largest mission field. Uh, after Jesus talked about the wide and narrow gates, the wide and narrow roads in Matthew 7, the example he gave right after that was not agnosticism or atheism or secularism. He pointed to people in verses 21 through 23 who thought they were fine and they're actually not. Uh, so I say all these things not to be critical, uh, but rather to say, hey, there's a big mission field out there folks need to save uh, who think they're Christians, but their Christianity is defined by culture, not by Christ. So that's what all this is about, is wanting to reach folks with the gospel and the good news. Well, Dean, um, I want to thank you for uh, just taking out your time and to be on the podcast. And for those of you who are listening uh, and you have not gotten Dean's book, The Unsaved Christian, I would highly, highly recommend that. Again, I'll have information in the show notes of where you can uh, where you can actually link to that and get access to that. Well, Dean, again, I want to thank you for taking your time to come on the podcast today. It was great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. So how do we reach cultural Christians within our ministry? How do we reach cultural Christians who are students? I think the first step in that is to simply ask them questions about a faith that they claim to have. Simply ask them questions about about their faith that they say they have, and that will open opportunities for them to see that they never have truly surrendered their life to Christ. It will give opportunities for discussion, for give opportunities for them to see where their faith really lies and what it lies in. So I would encourage you as a, as a, as a youth worker to start there when it comes to uh, cultural Christians within your ministry. Uh, this is something that, that is hard, it's from, especially for someone like me who, who's in the South, um, uh, Southeast United States. It's, it's really sometimes hard uh, because a lot of kids in my all families, a lot of kids in our ministries and churches in the South qualify or fall online of this cultural Christians. Again, it's all over the United States, all over the world. I do think it's a, you see a little bit more in the South. I would definitely encourage you just to engage in questions, ask questions, probing questions about students' faith to give you opportunities to share the love of Christ. Again, I'm very thankful for what Dean does and I'm very thankful for his heart when it comes to reaching cultural Christians. Well, guys, um, I do want to let you know that for the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a little bit of break on the podcast. Um, so you probably won't see an episode come up for the next uh, two to three weeks. And part of that is because I'm going to be spending some time uh, with my family. Also, 
Uh, there's a lot of youth activities and student activities in mind and ministry going on. So we're going to be taking a few weeks break here on the podcast. So again, I am a youth pastor before I am a podcaster. Uh, so my ministry and my family comes before me doing this. So we're going to take a little bit of a break and then we'll be picking up in the first couple of weeks of January. Again, you definitely don't want to miss next week's episode, next couple of weeks episode, when we talk to Jody Livingston about longevity longevity in ministry and how to stay in youth ministry for the long haul. So stay tuned for the next episode.